Bianca Campoon is the co-founder and creative director of Small Girls PR, a boutique digital PR agency in New York and LA, founded in 2010. Believing compelling content and creative programming are an integral part of any campaign, Bianca manages internal brand initiatives as well as high-level digital strategy. As a mental health advocate, Bianca is also founding partner of the Wish Art Group, a mental health nonprofit for musicians founded by Michael Andalakos of Passion Pit. The Wish Art Group develops programs and services that better serve and promote the mental, physical, and creative well-being of artists. Bianca has been featured in Marie Claire's Top 5 Young Guns, BuzzFeed's 21 Role Models for 20-somethings, Forbes' 15 Women-Led Startups, and WWD, among others. She has shared digital PR advice for Harvard Business School, Gizmodo, Social Media Week, and Curalate. Bianca splits her time between New York City and Tulsa, Oklahoma, and can be seen dancing up a storm on your Instagram feed. So, hi Bianca. I'm so honored that you're here to interview me today. I decided to choose people who I thought connected with me in different ways uh, to interview me and talk about things that we have in common and questions that you have asked through the years or questions that people might want to know from your perspective. And I think it would be great for you to talk about what you're doing now. So I met you because I hired Small Girls PR Mm -hmm. to (laughs) give me the tutorial of life on everything social media and everything cool and fabulous. And I just have come away with tremendous respect for you and how brilliantly talented you are and just, you know, always in love with you because I love how you work. And now you're doing so many interesting things, but we stay connected, (laughs) obviously. And so tell everybody what you're doing and give them a little intro about how you got to small girls and where yeah. you are now. Uh, well, first of all, I'm really honored that you thought of me, and I'm very excited to interview you. I I do agree that I think we had a real connection when we met and when we were working together, and I'm I'm just so glad that we've been able to stay in touch, honestly, through social media, yep. I think, for the most part. So it's been really great just seeing, continuing to see your videos and um, the interviews that you've been doing with Eloise and all of that. And it's I think about it every now and again because... Um, I do my my own version of like morning exercises and they're very similar to the things that you do. Mm-hmm. So when I see those videos pop up on my feed, I'm like, I feel just like Norma. Or sometimes <laughs> I think like, what would Norma do <laughs> when I'm working out? Um, but anyway, so I am one of the co-founders of Small Girls PR. We started the agency a little over eight years ago now, I think. Wow. Almost nine years. Yeah. Um, so it's been quite the journey. And... Um, we really started the company with social media first and, and influencers in mind. Um, at the time when we started the company, brands weren't really 
uh, familiar with social platforms, and my business partner and I were friends with a lot of the founders of, of these platforms like Tumblr and Foursquare. So we were using them for ourselves and had thought we should be working with brands so that they can create their own content rather than having to work with a publisher or a magazine to have to, you know, do or, or put their, their shoots and their videos or behind the scenes and really showing the brand. Um, I think at the time a lot of it was through advertorials or even editorials at magazines. And, and I actually started out in the magazine industry. Mm-hmm. I worked at Lucky Magazine, and that's kind of where my wheels started turning, where I was thinking, you know, brands don't really necessarily need to have that kind of relationship or advertise, you know, and right. spend all of that money and do it themselves. Um, so we'd started doing that, and about three years in, a lot of our clients, or maybe even two, a lot of our clients started asking about traditional media. So, so we grew um, the traditional press side of the company as well, but a lot of the work that I still continue to do at Small Girls falls more into the that digital creative campaign space. Mm-hmm. Um, but more recently, <laughs> is that Which what you want I me to love. talk about? <laughs> I love this. Um, more recently, I've actually moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma part-time, mm-hmm. and that was... Um, I guess technically the discovery, or I, I don't even want to say discovery because obviously Tulsa's always been there, but um, my own personal discovery of Tulsa um, was about a year ago when we started working with a client out there. And on the first day that we, um, my team had gone out there to meet different people and kind of get to know the client, get to know the city, I just fell in love. And by the end of the day, um, we had a dinner with a group of people, including the former mayor of Tulsa. And I was just telling everyone, I'm going to move here. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I think it's kind of an interesting and bold statement to say, like the first time you've ever visited a place. And for me, it was at, from that point, really trying to figure out and map how feasible that would be. And how quickly I could make that happen. Obviously, given the fact that I own and run a company in New York and have mm-hmm. employees here and, and all of that would make it difficult for me to be there full time. Um, but I knew that I needed to figure out how to make it work. And the fact that we do have a client out there right now um, really you know, helps with just the need for me to, to be there be in there. person. Yeah. But nobody asked me to move. <laughs> it was a decision that I made on my own. And I actually think some of our conversations about it um, really helped me understand that this was something that that I felt so compelled to do. Like, I I had to do it. Mm. I felt drawn to do it. And and basically, the universe was telling me that I I needed to be Mm -hmm. in Tulsa. Yeah, I think it's very exciting. And I think the projects you're working on there are also going to be great. And I think your talents will really bloom there. And it was smart. To, to make that move. Of course, I kept coaxing you. <laughs> you do were. it, do it, do it. <laughs> but I, but I and, love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I love seeing the progress. And you just bought a house. I oh, did my just God, buy a house. that's big. So yeah. congratulations. I'm so proud of you. I think you're you. an amazing woman. Thank you. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> you're I'm ready, ready for, these for your questions. questions. Yeah, so when, when you first asked me to interview you, I was thinking... Um, what are the questions that I would, one, normally ask you if we were having just a conversation over lunch? And then I actually recall the conversation that we had 
in which we talked about Tulsa, I think, mm -hmm. a lot. Um, but you you were talking about personal brands. And I remember at the time, um, I actually couldn't define what my personal brand was. And, and what I've come to realize now is that I'm actually in, in somewhat of a rediscovery transition period. Mm -hmm. I think I knew exactly what my brand was for most of my 20s and then a little bit, you know, less in my transition into my 30s yeah. and now I'm 34 and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm like my life is changing so mm -hmm. much. Um, but when you first asked me, I think my first thought was, how do I even, how do you even define that? Like, how, what do you define as someone's personal brand? Um, and what do you see yourself, uh, what do you see your personal brand is mm -hmm. now? And how has that changed, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> throughout your life? Right. Well, I, I think that that's a great question because it really is something everybody needs to think about. And I think it starts simply with looking at the time we have in this lifetime and understanding what your purpose is in this lifetime. What is it that you want to achieve on, on different levels, personally and, and in any other way, or any, for the community or whatever way. But it, there's usually a definition. And I realized that that was something um, I needed to understand. But I knew very early on that my job would be to do whatever I could to help women feel good about themselves. It was something that happened very early, and I didn't. It wasn't a plan. I wanted to be a painter, but it turned out that everything I was doing was helping women feel good about themselves, and I was learning it through my own experience. So once I understood that, every choice I made after that would be focused towards, okay, that goes with my purpose, that fits with my purpose. And so the branding comes together when it's either commercialized or not. And if your purpose is to put flowers out and make out of your window and everyone that walks by feels good because you did that, that's a purpose that affects people around you. So it can be simple or it could be grand. Mm -hmm. So I have never wavered, but my overall purpose in my lifetime, the overriding purpose, is to lead a creative life. So every decision I've made for my business was based on that decision. So did I sell my company to some partners, or did I bring in partners that would have a voice in my creative freedom. No, I decided not to, even if I was crying myself to sleep because I couldn't pay the rent. Yeah. I had to figure out some way to have that creative freedom. So it's, it's really simple, and everybody can do it, and intuitively everybody knows. The other part of the, the answer to that is you mentioned that when you were in your 20s, you understood what that was about. And then the transition was a little rocky, like mm -hmm. trying to figure it out. And now you're in your 30s, and you're, you're getting what this is about. You're, you're, it's clearing. It's becoming 
more focused and your purpose has evolved, right? Your yeah. your goals have evolved. So the the one thing I can speak with some authority <laughs> in is the decades in a woman's life, right? So the 20s are you're basically moving into adulthood through your 20s. You're discovering who you are, what you like, what you look like when you look in the mirror, what you behave like. You're finding out who, how you exist in the world around you. 30, 29, 31 is when the universe gives you a good punch in the gut. Right. Is that the Saturn return? Yeah, so that's the now let's see how you survive this. And if you survive this in a positive way, the 30s turn out to be pretty good. They're not rocky, rock-free, but they're pretty good. If you don't do so well, it takes a little longer to kind of get up on your feet. But how you get through that, that transition is really big. It's one of the biggest transitions. I would say 30 and 50 are the biggest transitions in a woman's life. And I've seen that 30 cycle over and over and over again through the years with my staff and with women I know. So you've gone through your 30 and now you're in such an amazing place that I can't wait to see because 40 is okay, I'm in my power, and now I can really affect the world. I can affect my universe, my world around me. So you're on that path, and it's so much fun. I actually can't wait. (laughs) Well, you're in it, so there's nothing better. I feel it. Yeah. I feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I know when when we were first talking about personal brands, and you had kind of mentioned, like, five areas in which your personal brand fit into or things that that define your personal brand. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what those things are? I can't remember if they were five or or I know there were a number of them. Well, I mean, I think um, I pretty much sort of covered that in a way that your personal brand... um, depending on how you express it, can be simple and and that purpose and understanding it. But then there's the way you express it. If it's a corporation and you want that company that you've developed to have an image, and so it's it's the messaging which you and I have worked with Mm -hmm. for a few years on how do we tell the story about the brand. So whether it's the way you film or photograph or do social media about the story, what your story is, being authentic, being telling your story in the most honest way, and and surviving... um, all of the trends and the political, socioeconomic um, fluctuations around you is keeping your brand authentic and true and finding the way that you go through the nuances of what's going on in the world. Right. Well, actually, on that note, um, have you ever found yourself in a position where 
you were working on something or creating something and then part of the way through realized this isn't very me at all or, or it wasn't really in line with what mm-hmm. you believed in or your personal brand and had to make a shift. Yeah, definitely. In fact, um, so I'm launching Normal Life mm-hmm. and uh, Normal Life is uh, a a lifestyle brand based on a healthy lifestyle with the three pillars being, you know, fitness, diet, and sleep. So everything about it is in keeping with um, this authentic voice, but it's also being responsible from a sustainability point of view, right? Yeah. So I'm doing the packaging, and it's gorgeous. And I was like, oh. So fabulous. I love it. The image is great. It's really fantastic. Then one night, I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm saying, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? This packaging has nothing to do with sustainability, has nothing to do with the the moral code of what this brand is about. What am I doing? So I literally... When in the next day, and of course my staff loves this, when I was like, okay, we're going to do something different. And so I took away all the frou-frou. So the packaging we have now is whatever is there is reusable. There's no tissue, no bubbles, no of that, none of that. And we just squish it in a... A shipper, which uh, is soon going to be reusable, not right this second, and that's it. And I feel so good about it. And whatever money I saved on that extra silliness, I put into product, into raising the quality of the ingredients and really saying this is really what it's about and having a budget for stupid packaging that's going to get thrown away as soon as it's open you know when you get those boxes and you open open and there's a box and then there's this one inch little thing in the middle of it and it's horrible and so how I was like what was I thinking I was using old school packaging oh my god that's going to blow everybody's mind no wrong so thank goodness I came to my senses before we were at the point where it would be like oh this is so inappropriate what have I done but you have to be able to turn on a dime and correct yeah well I think to your point about you know what's happening even in the world and with society I think sustainability has become so important and I know even you know influencers and editors now when they get packages from PR companies or brands something that they often call out is you know a lot of this packaging is really unnecessary and then you watch all of these documentaries or even I don't know if you've seen the the new Our Planet on Netflix it's Mm. just about like I know you know wildlife ecosystems Mm -hmm. in the world and and a lot of it ties back to I love it because it's not just a nature documentary it's it's about how much um you know the waste that we create and the things that we do really affect the ecosystems yeah and and animals and even for us and Mm -hmm. (laughs) global warming um so yeah it's it seems like that that waking up in the middle of the night with like this thought or idea also Mm -hmm. kind of feels a little bit like um like it is one of those signs like Mm -hmm. it just comes to you yeah 
and wakes you up, literally. Mm. Yeah, a wake-up <laughs> call. To make call. a turn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, is that the first time that's ever happened to me? No. No. There have been so many times where I've loved a style that I've done. Loved it, loved it. And it was, it had to do with some personal reference to something when I really searched back. This reminded me of a dress my mother wore when I was six years old, and I remember her in it. And it had nothing to do with anything that's relevant to today or Mm -hmm. to when I was doing the collection. But it was a personal thing that I was so drawn to. But when I looked at it, and I thought it was the most beautiful piece on the collection, when I looked at it, I said, this is not relevant. It's, It's beautiful, but it's not relevant. So there are a lot of gorgeous collections that are made every year by thousands of companies. But if it's not relevant to what people need at the time and it doesn't make sense in the in the world is it easy care can you try can it do yeah. all those things then you like what are you doing like what you can't do that so sometimes those choices have to be made and you have to sort of understand why you decided to do that and so you know better take it and wear it yourself and not you know, put it into a context that doesn't fit. Right. Has there been a time where it was the opposite, though, where where you've you felt compelled to um, create or put something out there that, like, seemingly might not be um, on tr- or not not that it wouldn't be on trend, but just. Um, at first glance, wouldn't seem relevant, but you you decided to do it anyway, and then it, it worked out, and you actually ended up creating or setting mm-hmm. the trend yourself? Well, you know, the interesting thing is we, uh, this morning in the sample room, I have some new people. We have a lot of work, and so I'm bringing in more people to help me. And one of the guys that's working with me now said, oh, my God, I saw how this was a piece of this, and then you created it to this, and now it's so amazing to look at that. And and the truth is, very little of that kind of creativity exists in the garment industry today. So much of it is copying or being inspired by kind of designing rather than... And there are designers still starting from scratch and not necessarily using a computer but starting with the fabric and draping and doing all of that and and so that experience is very unique and when you're creating something in that way it's there's an approach to its its uniqueness so i'm not copying people i'm creating it from the information that I've gathered. So the more experience I have and the more trends I've seen come and go, I intuitively know the pendulum's going this way. Or I can I can go, I sense it's going to go this way, so I can do this shape even though nobody's doing it now. Right. So it's sort of calculated designing it's not it's sort it's creative but it's calculated do you think that intuition has come from just uh 
the experience that you've had and, and being in the industry for a while, or do you think that it's, it's something else? <laughs> no, it's all, it's intuition. It's part of your personality. I mean, I chose this because I intuitively feel good about doing it. And I like the game and the risk and the sweating and the armpits and the adrenaline. I love it. I'm addicted to it. So that's one part of it. But the other is experience. The more experience I have, I can see any collection anywhere and I can tell you what about it is original and what has been done and what is a copy of something because I've just seen so many collections. I've seen so many seasons. So it's very easy to sort of know more as you get older and have that experience. The question, though, about something that I did that I wasn't sure would work. So Marissa, who does PR for us in-house, saw she hunts around to all of the thrift shops. You may know this, and and the vintage stores. And so she found this bathing suit I did in the 70s and came back, and she always finds something to show me that she found. And she said, you have to do this swimsuit again. And I said to her, this is like almost five years ago now, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, how is anybody going to wear a leg that high now? I just don't see it in this day and age. That just doesn't low-cut side, high-cut leg. I don't know. She said, I absolutely think you have to do this. So I said, I'll do it. But I'm telling you I'm going to be ending up editing it from the line. But if it works, I'll name it after you. So needless to say... I was very wrong about that, and she was very right. And that suit, not only did we do it in everything and have we done it in everything, but I've seen it on so many lines and influencing so many trends that um, so much of it has to do with also a feel for timing. And I really because I had, so it's the reverse of having all the experience and how having all that experience works against you. So I remember the whole cycle of how that suit started and where it went. And my last thought of it was there was resistance at the end to how extreme it was. So that was my last memory. And so I didn't erase that memory. And so it held me back from feeling confident about doing it again. But she didn't have that memory. Yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, that that swimsuit is just like... Yeah. So iconic right now. (laughs) And you do see it on everyone. I know. Everyone. And immediately know... It's either your suit or another brand Some, copy. Something that very style close. From you. Sometimes I yeah. look and I think, oh my God, I don't remember doing it in that color. And I was like, no, you didn't, Norma. It's not your suit. But I'm, you know, it, it's, I've come to appreciate the fact that when something I do is popular, other people are going to want to do it yeah. too. So, it's not exactly a compliment, but it's a sign that there's um, that I'm relevant, basically. That I'm, you know, what I'm doing is relating to a bigger population. Yeah. Well, when the before the when you originally had that swimsuit come out, 
and your last memory being that there was a resistance to it, before that resistance, did it have the same kind of impact Big. on yeah. all of these women wearing? Yeah. So the, um, the high leg... What, what happened was the swimsuits in the 70s when I started to do swimwear had boy legs and they were the most extreme were two pieces and I'm talking specifically about American swimwear. Um, French and European swimwear had low rises but not necessarily high legs. Mm -hmm. So... I, and you know, you and I share the love of dance and, and the whole dancer body thing. And so I just saw that long leg on a swimsuit had, has to be an enhancing kind of body thing. And um, so I decided to make a super high leg. And it was so radical, nobody was doing it. And, and either people thought I was crazy and like what who's going to wear that and 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 that was the first reaction and then it just hit because it was so different and so it went on for quite some time so I have a lot of very high legs in the 70s straight through to Studio 54 when people were wearing them to go dancing in I mean so obviously it had its place but then the reaction always is, then you go in the other direction. And I let it last. I, I, let, I continued it longer than I normally would on something. I sort of intuit, okay, that it's time to change over. And in that particular moment, I didn't because there were still a lot of sales. So I was just going along with measuring sales. And so my memory of it was I should have stopped sooner, and that's why I resisted to picking it up again. Right. But it, I think that's also um, something that I think about is the, the impact of other people in your life and the encouragement that they give you and how that kind of affects the decisions that mm. you make too. Um, and I think that can go both ways where mm -hmm. sometimes you might listen to other people when like you don't really trust your own instincts or your, your gut feeling and, and potentially could have missed out on an opportunity. But then there are those times where people around you are really there to, to send you additional signs or just um, maybe already knew that you, you wanted to do it or had to do it, but that just needed that extra mm -hmm. push. Which I think again is right. when we were talking about all of the Tulsa right. things. It was like, well, if Norma says mm -hmm. that I should do it, I think that I'm on the right track. Yeah. Um, but who are who are some of the other people aside from um, those that work with you and for you that you kind of go to for that outside perspective? So I'm I like to ask a lot of people um, advice, and um, even here if I'm doing a style. And I'm just curious about what some guy would think about it or some, someone really young would think about it. Um, if somebody's cleaning the building and they're coming by and I'll say, hey, you got a minute? What do you, what do you think of this? And I'll ask, like, what does this guy think about this? And I take very seriously what they say because 
there's a different perspective on everything. So, and there could be somebody in finance who claim not to care about fashion or knowing, I don't know anything about fashion. I just know numbers. Well, what do you think? But so I, I treasure that. But I also, when it comes to areas that are not my expertise and I want to have skilled, you know, expert information or feedback, I ask people who are much smarter than I am about what they think. Uh, and I'll research it. And I'll ask some people that I don't even know. I've called people throughout my life, and I recommend this for anyone, um, to just call people and say, you know, I really respect you and what you're doing with your work. And I was wondering if we could have a cup of coffee. I would love some advice about whatever. Nobody has ever turned me down when I was known and not known. When I was just starting, people are very generous with advice. And I think it comes from the fact that you keep your memory of what people did for you. So it's, I am available to students, to anybody who has a question that I have to help them with because so many people help me. And I was never shy about asking people that I admired, so what if they say, no, I don't have time? So what? You know, It's better than not trying, but nobody ever said no. Nobody, if they couldn't make that time, then they, I had another appointment. I, I will say that that is probably one of the best things I ever did, and I'm not, and, and I wasn't, especially when I started, an outgoing personality. I was very shy and very insecure, but I knew they knew something more than I did, and I needed to know. That's actually interesting that you say that you were you weren't always so outgoing because um, obviously in the time that I've known you that's that is the personality that I've known and that mm -hmm. I've seen um, but that's something that I personally relate to a lot and I think it's still to this day I'm still in that where I, I do still feel shy most of the time I have sometimes debilitating social anxiety um, and it's funny when people only see me in a certain context and think, like, there's no way that you have social anxiety. And it actually kind of offends me a little <laughs> bit. Like, you can't tell me what I feel. Right. <laughs> or, like, when I'm internally, like, you right. just don't see it. Um, and it's different because I've, I've also read articles about people saying, like, oh, there's a difference between having anxiety or social anxiety and just butterflies in your stomach. It's like, no, I've definitely, mm -mm. in the middle of a conversation, I've gotten so... Um, Anxious and nervous, I just burst out crying and leave the room. <laughs> it's oh happened to me. <laughs> no, I, I, I can relate. I can relate to that. I think um, more people than not have that in yeah. different, at different times in their lives and, uh, and at different intensities. When I started, I, I was married, and my ex-husband did all the talking. He was more social, and I would sit in the sample room so happy to be creating yeah. that I didn't need to talk to anybody. And I was shocked that anybody was buying the clothes, and I was horrified by, you're going to charge 
a thousand dollars for that? Oh my God, you can't do that. And I would be, oh, I'm, I'm so afraid that you're charging too much. And, and, and I had no sense of my worth. And, um, and I hardly spoke. I mean, I hardly said a word, but when I left and had to do it on my own, who was going to talk for me? So I learned how to talk, and the way I learned it was I had a friend who was exactly the person personality that I knew I needed to have to get things done. And I didn't have that personality in me. There was no, there was no reference to it in my, in my definition of myself. And I decided that I was going to copy her. I, I didn't know how to invent that myself. So I was going to copy her personality because I saw she was so good at communicating with people and people listening to her and she had such a way about her and I would watch her and watch her and listen and watch the the whole style of how she did it. So I will tell you for five years I was that girl in public (laughs) and myself it, it was like I had another personality. I had such a hard time creating that myself. And then finally, when I saw that I was able to engage people and sell myself to them, Mm -hmm. sell myself. I mean, what a concept, right? So I did it through her personality. And I thought, I've sort of nuanced it and sort of put my spin on it. And before I knew it, she sort of melted away. And I was now the person that was selling myself. But I saw how it worked. And the only way I could do it was to imitate her. That's that's one. I think that's such a great piece of advice. I, that I don't no, know that yeah. people... I think a lot of people actually do some form of that, and don't, whether they realize it and or not. And don't acknowledge that they are, yeah. Even for me, I think a lot of it has been watching people on, in movies mm-hmm, and TV mm-hmm. and growing up. And, and on, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually. I grew up in the Philippines, and so I'm an immigrant coming to America, being in a completely different culture and right. society. What I knew is what I saw in movies and right. TV shows or what I read in magazines and catalogs. So that was the life and the, per- mm. the personalities I tried to emulate. Um, it's so it's it's so interesting. And so then you've it, done it too. Yeah, yeah, I've done it too, more so on the media side. Mm-hmm. And I think there are definitely people in my life um, that it kind of just naturally happened. Also, just I'm sure from mm-hmm. spending time with a lot of people, but then it ends up becoming like a merge of all of the people around yeah. you. Yeah, that feeds into your personality, mm-hmm. your own personality. Yeah. So if something's working for somebody and you see it is, and it's something that you don't naturally do well, um, it doesn't mean you define yourself as that's not who I am. I can't sell myself or I can't do these things. I don't have an outgoing personality. Um, it, you don't ever settle for that because then the creative side of you can't live right. because you're killing it because you're not allowing yourself to build what doesn't exist in strength. And so I've always found 
that if somebody is doing something and it works so well and you can learn from it, uh, I sometimes mimicking is the best way to do it until you figure out how you'll put it together or how, what you'll do. So uh, that, to me, has always worked and always been helpful. My true personality is I could probably stay home, draw, dance, exercise, do my little things. I could speak to nobody for a long period of time and not feel in any way isolated, or I can be with people all the time. So I have that ability now to move in and out of that. But my first choice would have always been to just create quietly, doing, you know, things that I love and that make me feel good. But not communicating and isolating yourself is very dangerous. Yeah, that's true. And it makes it hard when you get nervous around people. (laughs) Just the energies of people are really, I think some people are more sensitive to that than others. Mm. So I think there is that balance. It sounds like when you, even when you were taking on your friend's personality when you were (laughs) were out there, there was still the balance of like you being yourself Mm -hmm. when you weren't in front of people. And I think that's important because I think that there's also the, um, the danger of lose, like actually losing yourself mm. when you force yourself into a personality or mm. even a social group or setting that wouldn't normally be very in line with yourself. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in the end, your authentic self is is the strength and the power of it. And I think um, now more than ever, the value of authenticity every year that goes by it becomes more and more important and i think anything that's not authentic can be read easily so in my trial and error with that i understood that too because being in being dishonest is uncomfortable right yeah. you get you don't feel comfortable with it but when you can learn the uh, how to do it and that it can work that empowers you to feel comfortable in doing it, doing it in an authentic way. So that's the process. It's not sort of becoming this psychotic <laughs> bipolar. I'm this way this time and this way. It's more about sort of bringing it in, yeah. the experience, so then you understand how it works, and then you do it your way. Anything that's not authentic is just never believable yeah. anyway. Yeah, people can definitely see no. right through yeah. it, or maybe they buy into it for a, a certain second. amount of time, yeah. and then they yeah. kind of realize. Like, yeah, wait, what is that? <laughs> it yeah. doesn't seem no. right. No. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think one. So one of the other things when we uh, were working together, and even in the time that, like, you know, we've we've kept in touch, but haven't really seen each other, is um, I've I've been thinking about wanting to read a book by you about you like I feel like that's like the one thing that's missing in my life um right now and so some of these questions are things that I think I you know would love to go back and like re-reference and kind of read through like the stories of how you know you what your experiences were and how that that helped shape you as a person and also your business um but have you had any other thoughts or ideas of of you know if you had a book coming out mm-hmm. right now, like what would the 
the framework or theme or topics be? So when we were working together, I come up with this, you know, the 50 tips thing. I, I uh, started the idea of a book. I, I actually co-wrote the Facing East yeah. book with Dr. Yang on acupuncture. And, and so I was sort of in that, like, curious about writing and connecting with people. But it was, it's really his book, and I was just supporting it. But at the same time, uh, a friend was turning 50, and her, all of her girlfriends were putting together this party for her and, and putting gifts together that related to turning 50. So I, draw, I drew a little mole sketchbook of 50 tips on turning 50. And then I asked the publisher at the time but, that we were working with, do you think this would make a book? Everybody's asking me to duplicate it. And um, they said, it has to be more than this. So then it grew into a bigger book on tips um, in general. And so, okay, I did that book. And, um, and I thought about how to do that. And then I thought that would be a book that I would want to make part of normal life and as a tips book. And so I'm working now um, on a book that's stories, and, um, and it's been a lot of fun to, to work on. It's not memoirs, per se, but it's more storytelling about um, things that happened that put me on paths that I think many women will experience if they haven't gotten to that point in their lives yet or have experienced. So the idea of from puberty to post-menopause, what does that mean in a woman's life? And what are the life experiences that you are just experiencing yourself, like 30 transition? What are those life experiences that changed me and affected how I behave now, but they're very relatable um, to any generation, and so reading them uh, has been a lot of fun, and writing them has been a lot of fun, and so we're um, we're in the midst of you know the next phase on it. So hopefully, I'll have a date or something soon that I can talk about. But the process has been extremely. Um, helpful because I think it fits into my purpose, which is how can I help women? So why would I write a book? I always said no until I realized that the tips book could help people and this book actually could help people. It's not self-serving. Right. It, it, has, it fits in with my purpose. So the idea of doing a book in the past was like, why would I do that? I don't, like, I don't need to do that. But then I realized that every time I showed an example or told a story, it was helpful, so why not share that? So yeah. that's where I am with that. So it's less of storytelling just for the sake of telling stories and more storytelling so that people can relate Purpose. to them and and understand and mm -hmm. possibly help with experiences yeah. that they're having yeah. themselves. And so, and these experiences are timeless, right? They're, yeah. They, and especially with women, 
there's so many layers of things we deal with, hormones being one of them, and multitude of other things that have to do just with identification and self-worth and self-esteem. And so all of that really is globally um, relatable. And women all around the world experience so many things in the same way. And I think the book connects to that. And, and I feel good because it is, it is purposeful and it isn't just writing my life. Like, that's, yeah. you know... Although I do think people would find that very interesting still. (laughs) But it's in in there. It's my life stories. But um, But tied back to the the mission of what you want to be doing in your life. Yeah, definitely. Any wrap-up question or anything? Oh, I don't really, I hadn't really thought about (laughs) what the wrap-up is. So why don't I ask you a question? Okay. (laughs) So um, you're doing all of these things, right? Yes. Big moves. So... How are you dealing with relationships during this transition? Romantic or friendships or Any business? relationships? Well, I mean, I think we always think of um, a human connection to other human beings. So sometimes it's a relationship of love and, you know, whatever. And then there are others that are friendships that are as strong and as meaningful. There are different kinds of soulmates that you have throughout your life. So I think they're really important. And there is support when you're making you're making major moves. So buying a house in the city (laughs) that's new to you, but you connected with big, big, big move, I think smart, I, I think brilliant. But how do you see relationships? Now, this is the question that every woman is thinking about all the time, right? Right. So, yeah. Um, well, the the most honest answer is I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I've, I've given this so much thought, even in trying to figure out what my plan was, and knowing that I wanted to be in Tulsa, and, and um, that I kind of I I had to navigate around relationships and responsibilities and things that I have, you know, here in New York or elsewhere to be able to make that work. Um, and I think first, honestly, before I could think about other people, I really had to, to become in tune with what I needed to mm-hmm. do and, and sort of put this plan together. But the other thing was that honestly, with the people that were closest to me, the way that I spoke about this, you know, new experience that I wanted to have and just the fact that I really wanted to be there, um, the excitement and the passion around it just showed so much that I think everybody who knows me kind of realizes that like when, when I decide to do something that's like, you know, kind of a big decision, I'm, I'm probably just going to end up doing it Mm -hmm. or like making that, you know, um, jump or whatever it is. Um, and so I think, a lot of my friends are kind of just giving me the space to figure out what I needed to do and were very supportive. Um, and it's also been, you know, in terms of like friendships and romantic relationships and even, you know, my business partnership, it, it is very much a, we, I don't know, I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm just taking everything step by step. And so it's it's kind of like we're all navigating it step by step mm-hmm. together and seeing, you know, what... Um, 
what issues might arise and how do we work around that or you know for all we know like this could be completely smooth sailing and everything it could is be, totally yeah. fine I, I think I, I think the 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 reason I brought the question up is because the friends you have that are your real friends will always be your real friends yeah. for life maybe met um, a good amount of them um, and the relationships, the first relationship now and, and more profoundly than ever is the one you have with yourself, yeah. and you touched on that. So self-love right now is critically important because when you're showing that, you're going to attract to you people who know they have to treat you with respect and the, and, the, and the love that you treat yourself. So this transition is just meant to help you build that. And then, and then whenever it is, remember it took me to be 65 before I met my soulmate, but whenever it is, it doesn't come without self-love first. Yeah. And that's not selfish ego love. It's self-love and appreciation People pick up on it, and they will treat you the same way. So I'm positive that everything you're doing now feels so positive and right that you hinted at that a little bit yourself in answering the question. And I think when you continue to do that, all of the relationships um, come to you in, in such a kind loving way because that's what you're doing for yourself so what you're doing now for your life is just like it's a dream it's a it's a wonderful dream that you're actually living out yeah it is it's honestly the dream that i when i was a child growing up in the Philippines, reading catalogs and magazines and watching these TV shows. It's the house that I envisioned I could oh live God. in in America. Um, and the way that I want to decorate it, I actually am kind of getting pretty inspired with like 80s interior design, I think, really? for that very really? reason. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think a lot about how this is actually something that I've wanted since I was a kid. And it wow. only came up now in this just stepping foot into this yeah. city. And it's the beginning, so it's very, it's a great adventure, and I'm so proud of you, and I can't wait Thank to you. see everything <laughs> you do. And I'm really, really so happy you took the time to interview me, and I love being with you. So, till next time, Til thank next you time. so much, Bianca. <laughs> thank you, Norma. Bye. Bye.